filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Oh, you know it's on. So tonight, the Richmond Kickers got their uh, stadium deal done in a much quicker and much less acrimonious way uh, as compared to DC United. It took it did take four years worth of uh, behind the scenes dealings and negotiations and uh, public meetings and studies and things like that. But uh, once it finally came to uh, came before the city council, it took about five minutes total. There was one speaker in favor, the uh, president of the uh, Richmond Kickers uh, LLC, talked and spoke in favor briefly. Uh, one city councilor uh, spoke in favor of the Richmond Kickers deal, and then everybody voted unanimous. There was no one in opposition, and then all the councilors voted immediately uh, in favor of the Richmond Kickers stadium deal, which means now the Kickers can actually control their site and invest uh $20 million of their own money to make uh, very needed and uh, necessary improvements to their stadium. And now they've got a 40-year lease, so they can just have control over that site, be there for the long term. They, they've previously had like one to two year leases, so it's a great deal for the... For the Excellent. Campus. I'm happy for them. Some questions. When is the Zoning Commission hearing? There isn't one. Or no, it already happened. It already happened. In in reasonable towns, zoning commission hearings happen before. Or no, planning commission. I don't think we have a separate zoning commission. We just have okay. In D.C., like the zoning commission is separate from the office of planning, which is separate from the deputy mayor for economic uh, planning and or for planning and economic development, uh, DIMPED, which is basically the the city's development wing of the government. Um, they're all separate things and sometimes we they get have, it cross purposes and sometimes they're all pulling in the same direction. And then like the court strikes them down, which is what happened in a project near my house. Yeah. You know, all we have is the mayor's office, the city council and the mayor's and office the is basically an offshoot of the city council in Richmond. If I understand like it's, it's a weak, no, it's you, a you relatively weak mayor. If I understand, it, no, it's changed. Not anymore. Okay. No. That, cha- okay. that changed about 10 years ago. Doug, Doug Wilder was the first strong mayor of Richmond. And then we have the current mayor, Dwight Jones, who succeeded Doug Wilder. And now we're about to have the third okay. uh, strong mayor of Richmond. How, we, how, much, how much can each of these mayors bench? Um, Doug Wilder is an old, tiny man. Okay, so not uh, very much. But he still loves to be seen, and he has a stand. I just learned today, actually, that he has a standing reservation at one of Richmond's uh, restaurants where he just has his own table and he can just go whenever he wants. And obviously, as a former governor, uh, he is uh, a, a very important person. How tiny are we talking? Like, I might be. Can I bench him? <laughs> oh yes. Oh. Okay. So is he like? Is he like uh, Uncle Doug Wilder? Doug Wilder is probably claims to be five, seven. He is definitely five, five. Which one of your former mayors, uh, which one of the strong mayors, I should say would win in a fight. Yes. 
Um, probably Dwight Jones, the current mayor, who leaves office in January just because uh, Doug Wilder is in his mid to late 80s. So, but, but also uh, Dwight Jones is a minister, so maybe he wouldn't want to beat up on old man Doug Wilder. Okay. Whereas Doug Wilder would fight dirty. And That's would, what I wanted to would, hear. He would fight to uh, win. Which... Who would win a fight is often about who yes. is willing to actually go the furthest. Yes. The, the, the mayor-elect is a 35-year-old uh, young man, so he would definitely win, but he's not there yet. He is not weak, for, not, not for like, like Ukraine. When, when yeah. will the public bench press uh, be held so that we can see how strong he is? I don't know. And also, Tim Kaine is not in the consideration because he was uh, the mayor just before he the was strong mayor system. He was part of the weak mayor system. I was... He was the la- he was the last. Right, so I mean, this is the season for public bench pressing. Festivus will be upon us soon, and the feats of strength are an important part of that particular yeah. tradition. I think Dwight Jones would be able to bench press more, but I think Doug Wilder would win in a uh, fight between. That the is two a smart, nuanced answer to a series of incredibly stupid questions. Thank you for that, Ben. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster the. Smart, nuanced answers to incredibly stupid questions podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, your host, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about soccer and DC United and MLS and the U.S. national teams and the Richmond Kickers, which is why Ben was talking about it, and the Washington Spirit and uh, more, whatever else happens to catch our fancy. Tonight, we are talking about MLS Cup, which just went down. The Seattle Sounders lifted their first and shoots trophy and uh we're going to talk about that we are going to talk some cake or death uh, our season review where we decide whether we want uh each player on the roster back for next year we're gonna uh wrap up the roster but there's still more to come next week so stay tuned for that and we are going to preview tomorrow we're recording this on monday night we're going to preview tuesday's expansion draft where atlanta united and minnesota united will select the bulk of their players for next season. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? So I don't think there's a name for this drink. If reader, if listeners want to uh, submit names for it in the comments, they're more than welcome. But I have uh, apple cider, uh, amaretto, and whipped cream vodka, all in one. Hmm concoction apple almond and whipped cream okay yep. i don't have i don't have a good name it was, it was what i had le- is it's what i had left i had run out of bourbon didn't have time to run to the store so i just threw these in a cup and started drinking okay if you search google for anything with the words apple and almond you don't get like a clever name you just get things that are called apple and almond something smoothie tart whatever so Boo. Even though it seems like a good combination, let's let the let the listeners yeah make up a name for this. Yes. Don't don't for the love of God call it the apple and almond beverage or something. If you do, we will plan. mock you. Um, or or all of you come in and give us your variations on apple and almond yes, you are, drink. You guys have to decide it's amongst be yourselves one of the other before extreme. you comment. Land in the gray area. Yes, and also you have to be united. Uh, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I have um, a while ago, uh, and Ben's been talking about it for a long time, that Stone Brewing was going to open up a brewery in Richmond. Um, and I have been waiting for the price drop to come with that because of the shorter commute 
from Richmond, whereas uh, previously Stone was shipping from California. Um, that finally has started to happen. I've started to see a pattern, and so I uh, pounced. I have uh, Stone's Coffee Milk Stout. It is their variety brewed in Richmond. Uh, the bottle says so. I mean, I, I I didn't watch the bottle get bottled, so I, the I bottle it could be a lie. To Jason. But, um, so yeah, it's uh, Stone's Coffee Milk Stout. It's really good. It's it's stout weather, um, and also I'm making chili, and uh, the last bottle of Excellent. beer will go into the chili. Uh, I went to the store this weekend and bought ginger beer. Finally, I decided to to think ahead to this podcast and I bought I, I did not buy limes because I thought we had some in the house. So later that day I walked with my daughter to the grocery store and got limes and she was really excited because she wanted to get a big lime for me and a little lime for her. And we each carried one home in our coat pockets and it was Aww. exactly as adorable as you think it was. So I I, I, I have the uh, mezcal that, that Jason bought me uh, weeks ago that is still fantastic. Criante is what it's called. It's a really good mezcal. I have that and lime and ginger beer and ice in a glass, and it's a mezcal mule, and it's delicious. It is really nice. tasty. If if I had run out of beer, I was going to make a uh, a Mexican mule with tequila again because I didn't. I have ginger beer and lime, yeah. so I didn't really have much yeah, else. Yeah, mules? So. Yeah, it, we it's almost happened before. It'll happen again. Uh, yeah, mules are a good winter drink. The ginger really, really works. I think in the weather, even if you have a, a clear, they're, they're yeah, all-purpose. They're an all-purpose drink. One of my coworkers has actual mules and lives on a farm in the uh, far Richmond suburbs. The more, That's the more you know. Mules. But not goats. No. Two mules, one horse, and Sever. Uh, Can't be your friend anymore. You have to. Mm. I'd have preferred. You have yeah, to. You have to end that relationship, Ben. It is difficult to ride. Do you guys. ride mules? I mean, I guess you can, but they're not. What? She does. Okay. Um, I have follow up questions that I'm going to ignore for the moment, so that we can talk about soccer. Okay. And not mules. And not mules. Was your question about how many pounds it was the not, mules could bench? But now it was going to be. <laughs> okay. Way more than any current or former mayors. Of Oddly, Richmond. not more than a future mayors. The, the answer may shock you. We don't know. Yet. Toronto FC did almost everything right on Saturday night, except, you know, score a goal. Uh, so it was the Seattle Sounders lifting their first MLS Cup in what a lot of people described as something other than the prettiest showcase of Major League Soccer. Um, no goals. Seattle had no shots on goal, only three shots total. I think Toronto ended up with 19 shots. Nah, most of them not very threatening. Uh, some speculative chances. One really fantastic chance that was thwarted by... Uh, the, what, what's been called the best save in MLS Cup final history. Uh, ben, my question for you is, what do you assign blame to for the fact that this wasn't uh, the the showcase that, that a lot of people thought it would be with two pretty good attacking teams? I mean, it, it's a cup final. This is what happens in cup finals. Uh, teams revert to their most defensive self. They don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to let things happen. Uh, they want to, at least for the first 70, 80 minutes, just not lose rather than uh, win. 
Uh, we saw this definitely in the last MLS Cup in Toronto. <laughs> so maybe it is just Toronto and MLS Cups there. Uh, I think the last cup there was probably one of the worst MLS Cups in the history of MLS Cups. But this one, it was at least, I, I think it was, I still think it was somewhat entertaining. See, I actually um, agree with you on that. I think that this was, yeah. I don't think it was as defensive as a lot of people make out. There weren't there weren't a lot of chances. Not, I think that the the defensive midfields and the the center backs on either team played out of their minds. It was two very very well. I think Michael Michael Bradley Michael Bradley had a really good game yeah. until his penalty kick. Uh, but before that, he, he, he really did really uh, on both sides of the ball, I would say, uh, playing that deep lying distributor. But uh, Toronto had a chance in the second minute of the game that went just wide. They had they had some chances late on. And that would have been a game yeah. changer. Yeah, Josie's that, I mean, yeah, goals change but, games yeah. and a goal in the second minute would have done that. Um, but but Seattle or Toronto's midfield shut down. Nico Lodero and Montreal's defense snuffed things out. Every time Jordan Morris got into a little bit of space, Eric Zavaleta, uh, he probably had the best game of his career in this one. Jason, what stuck out to you about the fact that this wasn't the, the goal fest that some people were pining for? Um, I think Toronto's ability to pressure the ball um, and pressure Seattle all over the field really characterized the game. Um, TFC, I mean, there were stretches of the game where Seattle was essentially defending for like 10 minutes at a time. Um, TFC just kept them locked in forever. Um, the problem, and this is maybe one of the reasons why I don't necessarily consider the high press by itself to be attractive soccer, mm-hmm. unlike Peter Vermes, um, who thinks the, the art of hassling somebody is the highest uh, aesthetic you can uh, appeal about to. That. Um, high pressure... He is. He has. He has made his decision on that. Um, but yeah, the high pressure is all well and good because it gives you the ball in dangerous spots more often. And most teams should go play that way if if their if their if if their priority is putting on a show, they should probably approach games like that. The problem is if that's all you have going on, um, you end up just winning the ball back, but you don't actually do much with it when you do. Um, Toronto. Other than Bradley, Bradley was very good about playing vertically quickly. Um, he was winning the ball and moving it to somebody further ahead of him over and over, looking for guys in space. Um, the rest of TFC's midfield and front line were not really very sharp. Um, there was a little bit of indecision. Uh, Giovinco, I suspect, was playing injured. I'm not the only person that thinks that. Um, he he looked pretty far from his normal self. Um Altador was unlucky. Um, you know that second minute chance. Um, the the shot from uh, the header that uh, that Fry managed to save um, was a very difficult header that he managed to turn into a great goal scoring chance through his own uh, work as a finisher and as a header of the ball. Um, you know he had some bad luck there. There were some rushed shots inside the box, um, but also and to tie this back to TFC's problems all year um when dc went to toronto and beat them 2-1 the thing that characterized that game was that toronto when the game wasn't going their way started to panic and hit crosses too early and shoot too early and and go you know low Mm -hmm. take low percentage choices 
Um, and they were doing it again in the final. Um, if you look at their shot map, there are plenty of shots that had to be blocked or what have you. And um, Seattle, to their credit, did a better job of that than I thought they were going to be able to because they, they don't have a lot of quick players in the back. Um, Torres and Marshall are big physical guys, but they're not very fast over short distances. They don't have that agility that we associate with the guys that can do the great emergency defending. Uh, Tyrone Mears has struggled with that a lot. But in this game, they delivered. Um, it reminded me a little bit of some Washington Capitals playoff series against uh, John Tortorella and the New York Rangers, where the Rangers didn't really have much to say for themselves other than guys diving to block shots um, over and over and over again. Um, in hockey, that's a little more insane uh, because a, a shot could kill you. Um, but that was pretty much, you know, that was a lot of the problem for Toronto is that they just didn't have that little bit of patience, um, and composure in the attacking third. And, and, you know, it didn't help that it was super, super cold. Um, and it's difficult to play soccer well when it's that cold. Um, the ball does different things than it normally does. Your body doesn't respond the way it's, it normally does. Um, so a lot, uh, there was a lot of, you know, there were a couple of different circumstances that didn't help TFC, but ultimately I think they kind of have to look at themselves because they dominate. They did everything to set themselves up to win the game and then didn't yeah, do the last I think last that's step. exactly right. And I think um, scoring yes. the and I, I, I think Greg Vanny deserves a lot of credit for getting the tactics right out of the gate and getting the matchups right. Nicholas Lodero was all but invisible in this game. Um, and this is the only time in his MLS I, career you can even make that argument. Right. Uh, and and I I think I tweeted a picture of um, at halftime of his mm-hmm. like passing map his and not just his passing but his all of his uh, actions on the field and it was pretty sparse. Um, and normally the thing with Lodero is he covers a ton of ground, so he's yeah, always he's a high usage all over the 10. place. And this was just. Right. He's always getting on the ball, even when he plays wide like he did in this game. Um, he's always managing to get himself involved as much as he can. And in this game, TFC, and it wasn't one player shadowing him or anything. It was just a collective, um, you know, very good organizational um, uh, from front to back. Uh, they kept their shape. They got into defensive positions quickly. And someone, even when they had the ball, someone always seemed to have Lodero in mind so that if the ball turned over, someone was going to be making it difficult to find him. Um, so TFC deserves a lot of credit for um, the tactical planning on that side, because that's the most important thing when you're playing Seattle is yeah. deal with Lodero first. On the other hand, um, Greg Vanny did not get it right. I think waiting so long to uh, put Toussaint Ricketts in. He got it. He got it right at the outset, but he waited yeah, way too uh, long to bring Ricketts in. Because when Ricketts yeah. came in, the game changed. That's when Josie Altidore's big chance and and Stephen Fry's big save came. That's right. Right, but that was in yeah, and he came in. They came. They brought him in yeah. the hundred and third minute. So yeah. most of the way through the first half yeah, he got fifteen minutes to play. Time. That's it. And and that's yeah. not enough. Um, and that's that's a colossal mistake. And the thing is, do you have, or um um. Vanny had the option of bringing him in early. Their first sub, um, they've been big on making a central midfield sub, which so be it. Um, they brought in Jonathan Osorio for Will Johnson. That was a attacking no, way sub. Around. Osorio um, started and this Johnson. Game. They have. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. I'm, I'm reading my things in the wrong order. Um, you know, they they bring in Will Johnson. Um, 
for Osorio, and so be it. That's they've been right. making that sub for a while. But either but that, way, that one or the I other think um, sets it up so that they can bring in uh, Ricketts for Armando Cooper, who was right. really good in the middle third and incredibly bad in the final third in this game. Hilariously so. To the point that I was just I I, I resorted yeah, to just was, mocking how bad he was in the final third. I called him the the FIFA seventeen player who just discovered there's a skill move button because he had no idea what else to do. He couldn't make a pass to save his life. I mean, he there was there was a great there was a great moment in the first half where he did so much right to get out of like a one on three. He broke out. He found himself in the space where like the game had opened up and he had options. And he lost his composure. Yeah, he dribbled and into two guys the ball away. instead of making um, a pass. Yeah. There were three options, and he he chose none of them. Right. It was unforgivable. But, yeah, they they that sub should have been. They brought in uh, Benoit Sheru. That sub should have mm-hmm. been for Ricketts. Um, that that came in the eighty fourth minute. Um, they should have yep. gone, I think, a little earlier. Um, and made that sub because the way the game was set up, they were dominating. Um, and you're at home, and it's a final. You don't have to worry about the second leg. You have to just go win one game tonight. Um, and you're at home, and Ricketts has been consistently changing games for TFC. And, and you know, let's say that the suspicion that is playing injured is correct. You've only got so much time before he has to come out. Um, so my thought process would be send Ricketts in and get the yep. three of them up front. Have Ricketts and Altidore ahead of Giovinco and go for it for a while. And then if Giovinco has to sub out in extra time, you say, okay, fine. Now right. I'll bring Sheru in. Um, and maybe he'll score like in the semifinal, but most likely because he scores like a goal per decade, uh, he's not going to score, but at least you're, you know, at that point, the other thing that say, does okay, is let's it get moves Giovinco um, further away from Chad Marshall and Roman Torres, who were brutalizing him they were kicking him they were they were bodying up they were being physical because alan kelly was allowing it the whole Seattle team was a team he that yeah, puts him Seattle into space where he's not up um, against that back line as directly well, but he is that's against true Alonso that's true but that um so yeah. he's gonna get kicked anywhere but i think at that point they needed ricketts yeah, to open up some vertical right. space for giovinko and altador um and also just adding someone who is fast against two defenders who are big and a little slow um I don't know why Vanny didn't bring him in earlier. Mm-hmm. I thought it was glaringly obvious. Um, but I've been saying this for a while. Vanny is, at his core, a cautious coach. And TFC was doing their best to sort of eliminate that perception because they, they scored so many goals in the playoffs and they were, you know, high press and sending numbers forward and all that stuff. But I think when it comes down to it, and this is this is when it came down to it, um, he chose to go defensive. He chose the more conservative option. Um, you know, Johnson and Sheru coming in for Osorio and Cooper are both more defensive players replacing more attack-minded players. And it comes at the expense of Ricketts in a game where TFC desperately needed to add one more element to their attack, and they, they chose to wait. And then when they did use it, they had to use mm-hmm. it on Giovinco, which meant um, they didn't actually... Change all. I mean, they ch- yes, it changes how they play, but it didn't add right. the third attack-minded player to their attack. It just was like, all right, right. it's just a different look up front, um, which is not it's not how you go win games at home. So let's let's put the 2016 season to bed uh, now that MLS Cup is in the past, and we have our champion for for the year, uh, and we will now talk about DC United's roster probably for the 
the last time uh, in 2016, at least uh, in any kind of systematic fashion. We have the final three players in our season review, which I call Cake or Death, and Ben and Jason have a much stupider name and uh, conceit for this. First name on our list this week is Marcelo Sarvas. He is the deep-lying midfielder brought in from the Colorado Rapids, uh, made his name in MLS playing for the LA Galaxy uh, as a two-way midfielder, did the same for Colorado for a year, wasn't quite as good um, on a Colorado team that was not quite as good as any other team in MLS. They were bad. They were very bad all over the field. He came here and uh, did work. Marcelo was uh, probably the most important player through the first half or two thirds of the season when he was on the field, United were better. Uh, I haven't gotten any confirmation that he received blood transfusions from Davey Arno regularly throughout the year, but I'm convinced that it was happening because his game changed so thoroughly and he, he looked so much like Davey Arno on the field uh, down to yelling at the refs and getting stuck in and drawing fouls and committing fouls. And he, he was just Davey Arno 2.0. It was it was beautiful in its own ugly way. The question, though, is whether you want him back for next year. He is getting up there. He's 34, I think. He's on a big contract. Ben, do you want Marcelo back? Cake or death for the Brazilian? Uh, I give him goat. Um, I think he's an important part of the team. Yes, the, the podcast is making noise. He, he's ringing a bell because he part. also says um, yes. Yeah, I, I, he's trying to climb the Christmas tree, and if I weren't podcasting right now, I'd be yelling at him. Um, but uh, I give Marcelo Goat, uh, even with his large contract, he was a key part of United last year. I also want them to bring in uh, competition for him in the off season. But I think he is—he was so important that you need you need him back. And even if they get somebody, they they will probably need at least a third of the season to transition into MLS. So having uh, Marcelo there for at least the first third half a season is totally worthwhile. So Jason, go. Uh, yeah, I, I think this one's very easy on goat. Um, that salary cap number, I think it's like 400 something thousand. It's, it's a lot. Um, it's not an ideal situation, but I think, think if you're going to be flabby uh, with the salary cap, you at least need to make sure you're getting a high-end player. And, I mean, Marcelo started off with um, one of the best defensive midfield performances outside of one moment uh, of any MLS player the entire year. When DC went to Corretoro, he had, I think it was 17 recoveries in that game, um, which recoveries are not the not the most fun statistic in the world, but they do indicate that a player is winning the ball back for you over and over again. 17 a is a very high number. A lot of the time. Um, where he's cleaning up the mess. Right. Like, so, someone... Right. And, and you know, a good defensive midfielder might get to, like, 10. Um, you might see MLS uh, experts with op- Opta Access um, tweeting out, you know, oh, this guy had 13 recoveries. Sarvas had... <laughs> 17 recoveries in DC's first game of the year. Um, that's an outlandish figure. Um, and that, that kind of summed up uh, what he brought to the table. Um, he's a smart player. Um, he opens up the game for DC with his passing. 
Um, his penchant for yellow cards, um, if he hadn't picked up that injury, we spent a lot of time as a staff speculating as to whether he was going to set the all-time MLS record for yellow cards. Um, but he, yeah, yeah, the single season record, he picked up an injury and that kept him, uh, off the field for too long. He did end up actually on like a four or five game streak of not getting booked as well, but the injury still is probably the reason he didn't set the (laughs) all-time one season yellow card record. Um, the only downside of that is that that was some of the only times he got rested was suspended or injured. Um, United does need, uh, Ben is right, United does need somebody competing with him, um, whether it is, you know, a situation where a new player that's not on the roster comes in and then Sarvas and Vincent split the other starting job. That's fine. That's a, a probably a good situation. Um, but someone does need to come in, I think, or one of Vincent and Jeffrey need to take another Way step to forward set as players. Up and then step on my my transition there, Jason. The guy who might be able to step up and, if not compete with Marcelo, at least spell him from time to time is Rob Vincent. He he showed well playing in that deep lying uh, role in midfielder, not as much of a tackler as as. Sarvas, but very good keeping the ball moving and spraying diagonal balls and and has a great long range shot to boot, which uh, can keep defenses honest when United are in possession and in the attack. So uh, he came in from the Pittsburgh Riverhounds uh, as an attacking winger where he had played in USL and done very, very well led. I think was all all league in USL and uh, yeah, 18 goals in a season. Uh, obviously led his team in goals playing on the wing, which is, which is pretty impressive. Uh, didn't do as well on the wing for United eventually went and told the the coaching staff, listen, in college, I played as a, a deep lying central midfielder. And I, I think that's more natural to me at this level. Can we try it? And they said, well, let's think about it. We have no other central midfielders. Yeah. Get in there. <laughs> uh, let, why not? <laughs> and he, he did very, very well. And, uh, helped United onto their best run of form in the season as they figured out the four one four one. He was that one in between the lines and uh, he, I, I, he's up for our judgment now uh, because we are the self-imposed judges, uh, self-described, self-declared, whatever self-important judges. Stop to stop. I will not put the shovel down, Ben. I will talk my way out of this hole one way or another. Jason, cake or death for Rob Vincent? Uh, this one is also easy. Um, clearly, the answer is goat. Vincent doesn't make a ton of money. He's not an international. Um, he was effective this year. He was surprisingly effective uh, in central midfield. Um, he offers United, you know, a decent player at two different positions, um, playing as the six or the eight. Um, it's a, it's not a difficult one. I, you know, he's not winning as many many balls as he, I might like. Um, he's not as mobile as I might like. Um, but his passing range is very good. Um, I like seeing that. Anyone that can open up the game, especially with this team, someone that can swing the ball wide to the wingers is very important. Or pick out Taylor Kemp coming forward. Um, that's a, a very good quality for any central midfielder on this team to have. Um, so yeah, this one's extremely easy and I'm hoping that next year with a full year playing, uh, in the middle, he'll just keep getting better. Yeah. Go for basically all the reasons that Jason said, uh, he's pulled the Ben Olsen in one season transferring from 
uh, wide midfield to uh, central mid- to central midfield. Uh, obviously, not yet as good as Ben Olsen in either position, but who knows? He could take a definite step forward next year in central midfield, and is at the very least a uh, capable backup if he if uh, other people are brought in to uh, challenge him. And he doesn't make much money, and he can play multiple positions. So I agree. Easy, easy cake for him. Uh, same for the last name on the list. I will go ahead and just say cake off the bat. The roster ends with Travis Wara, um, who is the backup goalkeeper right now for Bill Hamid. Started the year uh, third on the depth chart, but when Andrew Dykstra got hurt, uh, after Bill Hamid was already hurt to start the year, Wara came in and was was good, was probably better than Dykstra. His stats, I think, bear that out over the, the course of his appearances with DC United. And now he there, there are some saying uh, around the league that he's a potential goalkeeper that could be taken in the expansion draft on Tuesday should Minnesota decide they, they want to take a keeper in, in the draft. So... He's a, he's a strong player who also isn't on a lot of money. He Was he an undrafted free agent or did he come? Yeah. Yep. Undrafted out of college, undrafted. came in, uh, impressed, got better, did the work. Um, yeah, he's, he's definitely easy cake for me. Ben? Yeah, obvious cake. Uh, and I don't even think he's that likely to be taken, I think. Uh, Toronto leaving uh, Clint Irwin unprotected means that Irwin is the most likely goalkeeper to be taken, but even if we lost uh, Wara, it would be sad, but Wara is the kind of player that you can... We like him, but you can find more Waras out there. So, since he's already ours, since he's already good, he's already better than Dykstra, I definitely want to keep him. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the same. Um, there's no, there's no reason to go hunting for a different backup goalkeeper when your backup is extremely inexpensive, appears to be getting better um, quickly, and has already out, you know, pushed out a pretty established MLS backup uh, in Dykstra. Um, if Dykstra was on somebody else's roster, some random team, if he was playing for uh, the Rapids or Houston, Orlando City. Or yeah, if he was in Orlando, um, there are weeks there. Not that you know, Orlando votes for Joe Bendick as save of the week. Uh, every citizen of of the city votes for him, but um, uh, that's actually in the the city of Orlando's charter. Um, but yeah, well, uh, extra, I think him someone him actually wins. rigged some code yes. so that every person who walks into a Disney park. Uh, when the turnstile turns, uh, it sends a vote that to MLSsoccer.com or NWSLsoccer.com voting for the Orlando player in yes. whatever poll happens to be going on. I think that's how that works. Or save of the yeah, week. I say if Joe Bendick won goal of the week every yeah, week, that would be an incredible season for a goalkeeper. Yeah, if you're a goalkeeper and you score, Sorry, you probably deserve goal of the week. A player um, winning goal of the week every week would be an incredible season for a striker to score 34 goals in an MLS season, yes. which is way more than anyone's ever scored. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, there are issues with Wara's game. Um, his footwork isn't the best. I, I mentioned online the footwork with uh, Stefan Fry making that save. Um, his ability to get his feet exactly where they needed to be is a, it's, it's a difficult thing. It's one of those underrated traits with, with goalkeepers. Um, 
he could do better there. Um, his hands could be a little more sure. Um, his positioning could be a little better. But we're talking about a guy that's in his what? Yeah, this was his second year as a professional. Um, so you know he doesn't even have that. And he played a bunch of games for Richmond in 2015. This year he didn't play that many, uh, and that's that's all he's done. And yet he's improved a lot already. Um, so. I think uh, the future is bright for Wara. I do agree with Ben that he's probably not going to be picked because Irwin is, is sitting out there. Um, unless Atlanta were to screw them over by taking Stephen Betashore, mm-hmm. who TFC also left unprotected. But yep. we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I think United would be very happy to have Wara back. I don't think there's anyone that wants uh, wants him to be... Yeah, if there weren't an expansion draft, no there'd be no question he would be returning to the team next year. The the door is open a little bit because of the expansion draft, which we will talk about uh, very shortly. Next week, we will have one final edition of Cake or Death on the podcast. I said we've gotten through all the players, but there are some more people associated with the organization that we we need to give the treatment to. And we will do that next week. After the break, we will talk about the expansion draft. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now to talk about the expansion draft, which will happen uh, Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. This is where the interlopers united will build out build out their respective rosters down in Atlanta and up in Minnesota. Uh, we now know who will be available to them. The uh, the the two the, the every team's protected list and available list unprotected list of players has been released now uh on monday and uh dc united's list had no real surprises except for a couple of trades that happened in the run-up uh to the release i guess it happened during the half day trade window sunday afternoon or whenever it was um there was from 9 a.m to 12 p.m okay not even half day three hours of trade window and dc united got busy uh, they they but traded, secretly, but secretly busy. Yeah, they didn't announce it until today, this morning. Um, either move, and they announced them separately, <laughs> or at least word came out of them 
separately. I think Paul Tenorio broke the Kennedy Iguananike news, and Steve Goff was first to tweet the uh, Miguel Aguilar news. I think uh, the, Ben, the, you were you were the first one to press with additional details on Aguilar. This is true. I was uh, the first to get uh, what uh, United and LA Galaxy were getting besides uh, Miguel Aguilar. So the details of those trades, Kennedy Bonanike goes to the Portland Timbers along with an international slot for the 2017 season. DC United gets a late second round pick next year or, or this year in next month's uh, MLS Super Draft. Miguel Aguilar goes to the LA Galaxy along with, I think, 2019 fourth round pick and yeah. DC United gets a 2018 fourth round pick yeah. in return. Um, both of these moves, the primary value for DC United is clearing an international player from their books in advance of this expansion draft. We've, we, we talked last week about uh, how, what a role international slots play because teams have to protect three of them. And we, we've learned that generation adidas players don't count for that mix so julian buescher even though he's an international player doesn't count as one of the three because he's not eligible to be selected anyway the rules are badly written and there's a reasonable case to be made that they by the language it could be the other way but mls has been very clear that they are interpreting it this way even if the language isn't clear um so kennedy bonanike and miguel aguilar are gone that is the rub as as far as these trades go, before we get to the protected list, Jason, what did you make of um, losing Iguananike and Aguilar? Uh, the fact that United got anything out of that situation is probably for the best. Um, to clear those international spots allowed for two other players that weren't going to be protected to be protected. Um, so that's a that's good. Um, just on on the surface. Um, it's one of those where it's probably tempting to overthink, but it really shouldn't be overthought. Um, Aguilar, it didn't look, you you know, the word was that he might get an invite to camp. Um, his option was declined. So trading him to LA and getting, yes, it is a, uh, a future draft pick so far in the future that, you know, you can't even begin to think two years in the future. And an Um, incredibly deep uh, draft pick. We don't know that the fourth round of the draft will exist in 2019. Well, um, that would actually make this pick more valuable because in the past, when MLS has eliminated rounds yes, from the draft, you, one they, at the end. You, you just get to your, yes. your whatever picks have been um, traded, and only those picks yes. get, get moved, essentially moved up to the end right. of wherever the draft ends. So this could end up being more valuable than we think, but which would be kind of hilarious. That that would be a pretty a pretty MLS thing to happen. Um, but yeah, Aguilar, you can't United count wasn't, on. right. And United wasn't going to most likely wasn't going to have him around. And if he did, it was going to be him winning a spot in training camp and then having to fight his way ahead of three wingers who are clearly ahead of him. Um, and, and, and also he hadn't even been impressing in Richmond in his time here. You would have thought if he were a MLS caliber player playing in the USL, he would be dominating here in Richmond, and he was not doing that either. And maybe yeah, he'll we, get the chance to do that next season with the Galaxy, who have, who have a B team ready to go. Yeah, at the um, very least, he's a guy who needed yeah. a change of scenery, I think. It could be argued. Uh, he impressed a lot of people down in Austin when United won the, the Armadillo Trophy um, before his rookie year. Um, 
And when he came on and showed some real dribbling panache, even if his decision making was a little bit suspect, but he didn't grow as much as I think anybody wanted him to on the field. He he had a, a good goal or two in Champions League play for United in group stage play, mm-hmm. um, which is those not against strong goals. competition, but those are important goals. Absolutely. Um, he did. He did score the game winner against Arabe Unido. Um mm-hmm. Uh, which was and that was in Panama, so that was a, a pretty big goal for United. It netted the team a bunch of uh, general allocation money for getting into the uh, quarterfinals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so but, the, he's he's contributed to DC United, no doubt, right. just not in MLS play and, and his his play on the field against other competition or in in Richmond didn't warrant his his inclusion in you know in the and, even in the eighteen sometimes right. And so, I, I, as promising as he was as a rookie, and as high as his ceiling might still be, um, I don't think there's there's a lot of room to fault Dave Casper for for making this move. So that, uh, spoiler alert, so that Marcelo Sarvas and Rob Vincent can right. be protected. And and you know if this had come you know a few months in the future, because we we know that he's an international uh, right now according to MLS's roster rules. Um, but he has married a U.S. citizen. Um, he's been in the country forever, so it shouldn't be a long time before he receives his uh, citizenship through uh, or residency, and then citizenship yeah. through through those processes. And once he gets his yet. green card, he no longer counts as an international. Right, but that hasn't happened yet. And the draft, the expansion draft, is tomorrow. We're rec- recording on Monday night. It's not going. His paperwork isn't going to show up uh, mo- Tuesday morning. Um, so United had to do something, and it was either now or never. And you know, maybe Marcelo doesn't get picked because of his age, but you never know. Um, especially with Amos McGee in the Minnesota nope. War Room, um, you do have to be a little cautious if you're United because he knows the ins and outs of what players here that he should be taking. Yeah. Hey, Ben, can you give me 900 words on uh, weighing the trade of Kennedy Igbonanike? Please don't. That would be a lot of no, words no, for I, something no, that doesn't require it. No, I can't. He's. It's kind of uh, like, no, g- give me as many words as Igbuananike would be overpaid under his current contract. That, that's still too many words. That's he's, many more words. That's, 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 that's in, far that's more words. Than, magnitude more words. Yes. He is a expensive striker that doesn't score goals and even more damning, uh, counted as international for DC United and prevented them from uh, protecting somebody who may actually start for the team next year. So... On all of the different levels, it made sense for them to get rid of him. And as we talked about on the uh, uh, Black and Red United back channels uh, today, it, w- it may have easily been uh, more of a chance that Portland just wanted our international spot, and we were like, and United was like, "Hey, you have to take uh, Igbon and Nikkei's rights as well." And they're like, Ugh, "Okay, fine." Yeah, I think both of these. Uh, the, there are two players who were traded uh, in advance of the expansion draft and were not placed on their team's protected list, and they are Kennedy Iguanamike and Miguel Aguilar. Uh, both went to teams that use their international spots for starters much more often than DC United does, and so and they, they didn't and they have to worry about protecting the three. minimum amount. Yeah, they, they, they were already going to protect the minimum and. So they were fine adding another guy to their non-protected list who can come in at, in camp and try to earn a contract uh, or, or who they can let go on a free. It doesn't hurt them 
at all. So it really was about moving these guys. Um, it, it, best case for LA, it works out like Kofi Opare did for DC United, where they had to move him to to get something else. And in DC United, except got they didn't. Nothing, except they didn't get anything for it. DC United uh, traded Aguilar for MLS roster rule reasons, just like Opare was traded for MLS roster rule reasons. Uh, Opare has benefited DC United. Hopefully for Aguilar, he can benefit the Galaxy, just not to the extent that they win another cup, because I, I, I don't want that to happen. I really don't. Especially with their new coach. <laughs> uh, Kurt Anolfo is, is the new LA Galaxy coach, and if you've been a DC United fan for any length of time, you will remember 2010 and the very short time that Kurt Anolfo was head coach of DC United and how terribly it went went so badly he's been coaching los dos and uh by all accounts doing a decent job of it so we'll see how he does in la um it sounds and, like and, they, we'll talk about this more later in the off season but it sounds like they might be red bullsing a little bit uh and he's also LAFC. coached a uh usl side well yeah it's true and did awfully with his uh mls side and somehow got a new contract offer but we'll also talk about that later so DC United's protected list consists of Luciano Acosta, Steve Birnbaum, Nick DeLeon, Bill Hamid, Taylor Kemp, Patrick Mullins, Lamar Nagel, Patrick Niarco, Lloyd Sam, Marcelo Sarvas, and Vincent, uh, uh, Rob Vincent, uh, Jalen Robinson, Colin Martin, Chris Dur- Durkin, and Julian Buescher are all automatically protected um, for MLS reasons. The big names not on the protected list are Bobby Boswell, Sean Franklin, Jared Jeffrey, Kopi Opare, and Travis Wara, who we talked about earlier in the show. Ben, do you have any quibbles at all with the protected list? Um, no, I don't. Um, yeah, me neither. And I don't think Jason does either. Yeah, I mean... Th- this we- is the, the, the rare podcast question where, where it's like, I'm asking a question and just simple no. <laughs> Nobody yeah. has anything to say on this. I mean... Opare is the obvious one who you might quibble with, but uh, he's not a starter. Marcelo Sarvas is, and especially with the threat of Amos McGee knowing deep, having deep knowledge about uh, uh, DC United players and starters, you've got to protect who you want to start at least the first half of next year, and Kofi Opare is not going to be a starter for the first half of next year for DC United, and Marcelo Sarvas is. So... You've got to protect uh, Sarvas over him. And, yeah. If we lose Boswell, which isn't going to happen, but if we lost Boswell, it would suck, but he makes a lot of money, he's old, and they'd probably draft to replace him, and it would be weird, but they'd probably get rid of him. Well, and you also have Kofi Opare or Jalen right. Robinson. You can, you can yeah, still. So, yeah. You can only lose right. one player. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a, a, a Steve Birnbaum, Jalen Robinson, or a Steve Birnbaum, uh, Kofi Opare back line is still pretty decent. It's still better than many MLS teams. I will say, um, you know, Sarvas at his salary and age, he might have been unpickable. Um, for expansion teams, certainly for Atlanta, who just can't afford to spend that kind of money um, on an older player because they've spent so much already of their cap space. Um, and they still want to bring in another designated player. Um, so they've got to leave. They've got no room for big 
non-designated player contracts. Um, but if you're United and you say, okay, um, if we lose Boswell, then we've got Opare as a starter. If we lose Opare, we've got Boswell as a starter. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, and I'm guessing that what fa- that and you know maybe some knowledge that perhaps uh, Minnesota is really really going to like uh, Marcelo and say you know we're, we're going to pick him regardless. Um, something yeah, like if, that. If Amos McGee helped with like identify Marcelo for that, well, that last or. Year. Or, or help bring him to DC United. You know how he feels about Marcelo, and you or if they, or if they, you have that information. Or if they really, really want uh, Jared Jeffrey, and you're just like, fine, take Jared Jeffrey. We're, we can deal with that, and then everybody else is safe. Um, but, but the other thing is, like, Adrian Heath, I could see him really liking uh, Marcelo's game. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the combination of passing ability and playing with an edge um, that appeals, I think, to the way Heath likes to build a team. So um, I could see the argument in the room that he should have been protected, but I can also see the argument that um, Opare should have been protected instead. In my When I did this for the site before these trades and I was having to add internationals, um, Vincent and Marcelo were not the guy. They, they didn't make my list. I went 9 for 11, but I also... If I had to pick one more, if you told me I could have two more spots, then it probably would have been Opare first, um, and then maybe Vincent after that, uh, just because of the age and salary thing. Um, but there's also the possibility of something we don't know, like a no-trade clause. If you have a no-trade clause, your team is obliged to protect you, which is probably related to some of the odder names, like Mix Discarude, who NYCFC is begging somebody to take away. Adam, Still, they protected Adam, him anyway. Adam, uh, Mixed Discord's dad is going to negotiate my next contract for this podcast, so expect to pay me uh, 18 times more and not be able to get rid of me even when I do nothing anymore. Okay, so 18 times zero, carry the one. Uh, yeah, okay. Why don't you have him uh, negotiate our, our deal with whoever sponsors us in the future? A, okay. a deal in which we can make more than we deserve and also be just on there. No one will be able to get rid of us for it's three also or four years. Contract. Yeah. yeah. You can't escape the contract and we make um, a handsome living uh, doing a soccer podcast. It's the dream. It, it, when, when you hear us refer to the dream, it's, that is the dream. Mr. Discarude, if you're out there, I don't know your first name, so I have to say Mr. <laughs> um, if you would like to negotiate our contract, please do so. Please, um, no, for real. Please, we beg you, negotiate our contract. Because you're the work apparently an yeah. amazing negotiator. We will have another episode later this week with uh, with well, representative. Don't, don't quite promise that yet. Well, I I have commitments from okay. from representatives of e pluribus lunum. And Dirty South Soccer, the newest members of the SB Nation Soccer family. Uh, they, they At this point, the plan is that they will come on. We'll record an episode later in the week to break down who they act, their teams actually selected in the expansion draft. And, you know, we'll get to know them a little bit. It'll be their first time on our on our show. And we'll find out what their drinking preferences are and, and all that. You know, the usual get to know you run around. Uh, let's let's zoom out a little bit uh, and look at the the pool of available players as a whole. Ben, what names jump out to you, or, or pick one or two names that that jump out to you as available outside of DC United? I mean, yeah, I think 
it's going to be a really interesting situation for the two teams to pick who from Toronto FC they want to grab, because there are a lot of interesting names from Toronto FC, and with the new rules this year, you can only pick one. So I could easily see someone picking Clint Irwin. I could easily see someone picking uh, Sam Ricketts. Uh, but you want to look at one? Yeah, Stephen Batishore as well. Stephen um, Batishore is another one. Yeah, so yeah, Tosaint Ricketts. But uh, if if we remember the old old rules, uh, TFC would obviously have two players picked. Uh, but since we're the new rules, they're still obviously going to have one player picked. But that'll be interesting to see who it is. Yeah, I think it's. I think both Adrian Heath and and uh, Tata in in Atlanta are both probably going to. Are, are probably both going to go with a one forward setup, which I'm not sure Tosaint Ricketts works with. If if they have a second look with a, a second forward, I think that, that Tosaint Ricketts makes a lot more sense. Atlanta's not going to draft another forward either way, um, you assume. So, I yeah, but the Irwin, Betashore, Ricketts possibilities are up there. Uh, the Red Bulls also have a, a couple of guys between Chris Duvall, Gideon Ball, Gideon Ba, who, um, who, who are available. Jason, who else jumps out to you? Uh, let's see. I've, I've, fortunately for you guys, I've made a spreadsheet because that is a thing that I do. Wait, um, you made a spreadsheet? I did. I am shocked, sir. Shocked. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, we got to make sure I'm I, looking. I apologize to the listeners list. for the ice rattling in my glass, by the way. It's so rattling, Jason. Um, and I apologize for that. One, uh, uh, Don't uh, apologize, just be better. <laughs> a pretty good option for either team, really, um, for in in need of a cheap defensive midfielder would be Colin Warner from Houston. Um, also, mm-hmm. probably the only player that either anyone's going to take from Houston. I know there's been some talk about Demarcus Beasley, but um, oh. he's on a little bit too much. Or he he's not actually he's out of contract is the issue. You'd have to negotiate a new deal with him. Um Warner makes like 80 grand against the cap. So, uh, and he's a pretty good starter. I mean, he's not elite or anything like that, but you're an expansion team. And if you're Atlanta, you've spent all your money on, uh, other guys. You need, you know, value starters. And he is that kind of guy. Um, Baggio Husidic is out there for LA. Um, he can play all over the midfield. He can play as a holding midfielder. He can play as an eight. Um, Arena used him out on the right for a couple games, uh, while, the Galaxy were trying to sort some things out. Um, he's only making, I think it's 150 against the cap, and he's a... Uh, if he's not a citizen, he's definitely a green card holder. He doesn't take an international spot. Um, both teams are... Uh, Minnesota might grab an international somewhere in there. Atlanta can't. They have they don't have any room for that either. Um, Atlanta's already done so much roster building that, that big, their selections will be kind of limited as a result. Um, some other Dom- big names like Dominic Oduro yeah, is Dom- sitting out there. Yeah. Um, from Montreal. I mean, he's expensive, but, you know, he's been an effective starter. I mean, I know he's not the most um, elegant player to watch because his first touch and his finishing are sometimes baffling, uh, but his speed is still a factor on excellent teams year in and year out, so there's a reason for that. Um, uh, there aren't, uh, you know, Seattle had to had the weird situation of having to put this together the day after they won MLS Cup. 
Um, and their uh, yeah. and their uh, parade is tomorrow, so there's a definite chance that someone will. And it's during the uh, expansion. Right. Trip, so there's a definite chance that someone will start the parade with a member <laughs> of the Sounders and will end it a member of one of the expansions. Some teams. other team, which is extremely weird. Um, but MLS doesn't give enough time for this. Um, otherwise, um, Seth Sinovich is out there for Kansas City, um, which is interesting because for a lot so of so is Chance year, Myers. Yeah, well, Chance Myers is uh, going to be a free agent, um, so there's okay. another problem there with renegotiating yeah, the deal. Um, just, just, just like it, it, the, why uh, United left uh, Sean Franklin, right? Right. Exposed. That's that's the thing is if an expansion team takes a free agent in this draft, that free agent remains a free agent. Yes, they, you're, you're just they getting, don't actually get special rights, right, for um, more than like a day and a half. Right. So it's a dumb it's a dumb idea. Don't take free agents. Um, Biasinovich um, got like he basically got pushed out of the lineup uh, for a while by Jimmy Madronda, but by the end of the year, with their season on the line, Peter Vermes chose Sinovich to start at left back and and not Madronda. But um, Madronda is younger, and that's I think the way that they're going to go is is moving on from from Sinovich at left back. Um, I feel like there was one other name that was in James. <laughs> If someone no. takes Jermaine Jones, I would laugh. That would be awesome. That would um, be incredible. Like if Atlanta just decided to do it because they've already – Atlanta's already doing uh, crazy things anyway, so they might as well do something that's like, all right, fine, we're doing this. <laughs> um, one name that I, I'm going to float that I don't think will be picked, but I don't want people to be surprised if he does, is Femi Hollinger uh, Jansen from New England. Uh, he's on the league minimum. Um, he – didn't have any starts at I, I, maybe one or two starts all year, but was whenever he was available, he had an injury late in the season, but whenever he was available, he was an impact sub for the Rebs. Um, lots of energy, speed, physical strength, um, and a nose for getting into the box and getting into good positions coming in from the wing. Um, for, a, you know, when you're talking about a player who makes as little money as you can possibly pay somebody in MLS, um, that's always going to be attractive at this at this sort of process. I mean, people shouldn't expect um, huge names to be picked. Um, Clint Irwin might be the biggest name that gets selected uh, in this thing because you're you're at this point you're looking at contracts and age more than you are um, starters. You're looking for guys that are good enough to be on your roster to fill fill a role at a good price point for you. And maybe they're a starter, and maybe they're a guy that makes the bench every week. Um, especially for Atlanta, Atlanta pretty much has to say, like, if you make over 150,000, we can't select you. Um, unless they decide they, it's someone so worth grabbing that it rules out or it it significantly hampers their ability to go sign Andres Guardado or whoever it is that they want as their third designated player. Minnesota can kind of do whatever they want because they've only got three players. They have ultimate flexibility. Yeah. I'm going to spin this around and bring it back to a DC United perspective. Back before the 2012 season, uh, there was an expansion draft for the Portland Timbers and Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, I think that was 2012. Yeah. And uh, had to be DC United managed to... Yeah, it would have been Portland early. In 2011. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the year that, that Portland and Vancouver came into the league, uh, DC United... It, it was 2011 is what it was. That It was before the 2011 season. Anyway... DC United worked a deal with the Brain Trust in Portland to draft Dax McCarty with the first pick in the expansion draft and trade him to DC United. Um, 
Obviously, that didn't work out super well for United. They traded him, Dax McCarty, for D-Row. D-Row almost led us into MLS Cup, were it not for uh, Juan Guzman's cowardice. And uh, Dax McCarty has done very, very well. He now is the all-time leader in appearances for uh, the Red Bulls. Uh, But I'm more interested in the trade that brought Dax to DC United, however briefly. Are there any players that you want to see Dave Casper work a trade for that are available in this draft? So he could talk to his buddy Amos McGee and say, hey, you should draft this guy and we will trade you allocation or a draft pick or a, a player on our bench or or something to that effect for a guy who's available that we couldn't work a trade with the team he's currently on. Is there anybody on the field that you want to see that happen for? Mark Rich. Troll-o-lo-lo-lo-lo. <laughs> yes. For those of you who have not been disunited fans that long, that is, that is a joke. Yeah, I remember... A my, very, my, very, very bad joke. My abiding memory of Mark Birch is him being completely and his left skinned. Foot. I mean, I... Alright, the good memory of Mark Birch is him sending in, like a moonshot cross like it was a looping cross that went i think above the roof line of rfk stadium and dropped down to uh marcelo gallardo's foot for a full volley that was just the best the the, the really the high point of gallardo's time it, at dc united the other abiding memory is him being completely skinned by freddie montero and me just tweeting mark birch is not the answer i don't care what the question is did you know that Gallardo goal didn't even win goal of the week that it was in? Much now I'm less- just annoyed. Jason, let's go back to my yes. original question. Um, that's that's more fun to discuss. Um, uh, one name that do- I mean, I already mentioned him, but uh, Colin Warner is a pretty interesting pickup in that that regard. Though I don't see either team agreeing to pick him and then hand him off to DC. It would take a lot because I feel like they probably would want want him at that uh, price. Um, I would like to see United do a little better uh, with their defensive midfield acquisition, but Juninho, um, yeah, uh, Juninho apparently reportedly wants back in MLS. He wants to leave uh, Tijuana for for MLS. That would be kind of the ideal. Um, I don't know how DC would pull it off. It would probably be extraordinarily difficult, um, but that would be the ideal. But yeah, in this field. Um, there's no names that really leap off the page as filling a role that's worth the hassle uh, of this of this situation. Um, there are a lot of good players that play positions United already has covered. Um, you know, maybe if they decide, maybe if Franklin has told them he's not going to sign a free agent deal, they might want to pursue Betashore. Um, I actually advocated for them taking Betashore uh, in the re-entry draft last year and letting. Franklin go. Yeah, I like Franklin as a player, but Betashore is a better right back. Um, so maybe that's part of it, though. I, I'm what about curious. Mark Bloom? How, how about Mark Bloom? Mark Bloom isn't actually a good defender. Um, no, <laughs> but I'm kind of curious now that I'm saying it um, that two teams in a row would somehow let Betashore get away or at least leave him unprotected. Um, that is strange to me. That TFC, Vancouver making a mistake, okay, fine, but two teams in a row two years in a row, that's odd. Um, I mean, it might be that people... I mean, it's MLS. Fullbacks never make the best 11. Fullback is an underrated position in in this league. Um, I I would say. 
I would say it's an undervalued position by and large. And that's why I was okay with DC United seemingly overpaying for Sean Franklin, because fullback is actually a super important position, even if they they don't appear at critical moments quite as often as striker or center back. Um, and their usage isn't quite as high as central midfield. They're still a, a super important position uh, to have good quality at, on the starting line. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I didn't mind them seemingly overpaying for Sean Franklin because DC United needed that at the time. However, I don't think they can continue to overpay for Sean Franklin and specifically going mm-hmm. forward. So I I would be okay with that. I would also be okay with them working a trade as long as the cost isn't too high to get Quincy Ameriquois to back up Patrick Mullins. We don't know what the the real like-for-like backup is at, at that position. And I think Ameriquois is probably a better, even though he's little, he's a mm-hmm. better hold-up striker than, than Al-Haji Kamara would be. And I think that there's there's value in that. And I think not only would he be a capable backup, for Mullins, he might even push him. And if Mullins drops his form a little bit, then then Ameriqua is a guy who can step in for a few weeks to to show Mullins that he has real competition. Provided his knee is okay. Provided his knee is okay. Yeah, yeah. you need to. Um, yeah, that, unfortunately, that, it's t- it's tough to check that out at this point. Right, that injury, you know, might be out there for a while. Um, but yeah, it, it's not that great of a pool. It's not a pool where it's like, oh wow, this guy's available. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that this might be one where the best thing to do is just not do anything, um, which is a pretty boring answer for a podcast. But, you know, we require the action bias be honored, Jason. <laughs> Doing uh, anything is always better than not. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, there, are, there aren't that many great names, though. So uh, I'm going to be stubborn. I'm going to say don't is my answer. Fine. We will end the show jerk thank you all for listening to this jerk and the other two of us uh find us all all three of us including the jerk at blackandredunited.com uh find us on twitter at filibuster dcu for the podcast at black and red U for the website send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com find us on itunes stitcher and soundcloud uh Give us a rating and review if you feel so inclined. Uh, we prefer good reviews, but be honest. If you're going to leave a review, you know, we're not going to ask you to lie. Jason's a jerk, but the other two of us aren't. Uh, mostly, though, tell a friend about us. If you like the show, tell a friend. Uh, whether it's at a soccer bar or, you know, just you find someone on the street and you grab them by the lapels and you shout at them about the show. Don't actually do that. I'm not going to encourage you to do that. Jason would, because he's a jerk. But I won't. In any event, we will talk to you real soon. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Somebody hates these cans! It's on.